Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 112 with uh, the incredible Bob Wheeler. Bob is an author, speaker, uh, CPA, CFO at the Comedy Store in Los Angeles, Hollywood area, and uh, just brings a ton of financial and uh, emotional, all these things uh, intersected here uh, in one big topic in this interview. A uh, ton of value, finances and money. It's not something we've talked a lot about on the podcast, but uh, something I think uh, a lot of us can improve whether we feel like we deserve things or don't uh, or just have an unhealthy kick the can down the road, uh, get in debt kind of relationship with money, with credit cards and whatnot. Don't feel ashamed. He talked a lot about shame and all these things. Uh, so a lot to cover here in this podcast. And of course, up front, we talked a lot about, because some of you may know, I'm, w- I'm way into comedy, uh, stand-up comedians, comedy movies, all kinds of stuff. And it's just always a fascinating topic to me. So the first like 15 minutes or so of our interview, we talked about comedy, the comedy store and the financial things and all the very various aspects of that. Uh, so if you want to skip that, you can, but uh, I wouldn't. Incredible material <laughs> and a lot of interesting insights as he got to know Mitzi Shore and all these big comedians, and he's done some stand-up too. Uh, so I uh, want to remind you, as always, up front, you are absolutely priceless. Don't ever forget that. Don't let anything, anyone, any event, uh, any body image topics or other societal nonsense convince you otherwise. No matter what, no matter how tall, short, fat, thin, uh, color, or anything else, your background, uh, ethnicity, language you speak, uh, clearly you must understand some English to be listening to this podcast, but none of those topics change your priceless state. Uh, Speaking of money, uh, we as people are absolutely all, uh, without exception, above the monetary restraints of this world, uh, the uh, financial systems. So you are absolutely priceless. And of course, along with that, we talk about that a little bit in this podcast, you are never alone. People, their financial situation or their marriage or health or job situation, sometimes, oh, they feel like they're alone, but absolutely you're not alone. So many people are going through so many things right now. Uh, you are not alone at all. Whatever it is you're going through, reach out. You know, comment on Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you can reach out through uh, info at empowerhumans.com via email at empower101 on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, but do not get lost in that uh, delusion that you're alone. And I'm not trying to come down on anybody by using the word delusion, but uh, you are absolutely not alone and uh, don't get lost in that. And uh, reach out, friends, family, neighbors, or to me directly to through our website. And uh, of course, our challenges: study, keep studying, start studying. Whatever your situation is, I still I'm using these apps. I got my boys using these apps through the library system. Uh, there's other apps depending on what your interests are, your spiritual life, or whatever. There's all kinds of resources. Like we are so so blessed in this day and age to have access to so many of these incredible resources at our fingertips, quite literally. Uh, through smartphones and laptops and whatever the case might be. So study, keep studying, find some great material, audiobooks, ebooks, music, uh, videos. You can learn a lot from th- those things as well. Uh, as well as their second challenge, make great moments. Make these times matter. I've uh, been spending a lot of time with my boys doing various things. Uh, the other day I went out and got a new guitar amp. Uh, not new per se, but new to me, used guitar amp I bought from somebody in town here. And they went along with me, and I said, well, come with me. And we got to talk and play in the car a little bit and stop and get a treat on the way home and all those sorts of things. Those little things make all the difference. We talked about little things in this podcast. Tony Robbins has said both success and failure are found in the little things. That applies in relationships. That applies in parenting. That applies in business. That applies with our bodies. That applies with our minds. 
success and failure are found in the little things. Thanks, Tony. I'm not taking credit for it, but I'm imparting that wisdom to you today. Uh, so make great moments, whatever that might be for you in your life and your loved ones. And the last challenge, of course, let's keep doing this podcast together, my friends. Love you and appreciate you. I'm flattered you spend time with me. Share the podcast. Uh, go, you know, leave a note on your neighbor's uh, front door or their car windshield. <laughs> uh, share on social media. Uh, you know, get a sticker for the side of your car. Maybe we'll get some of those available on our website. I'm being a little silly, but share the podcast uh, in whatever ways you can. Uh, just spread the message. We're all about enlightening, empowering, of course. That's in the title of the podcast. And just lifting humanity in every sense of the word lifting. Uh, so, my friends, we're going to lift each other. Let's get into this podcast. I cannot say enough about our friend Bob Wheeler here. So again, as I always say, without further ado, let's jump right into our interview with Bob Wheeler. Here we go. We are so pleased to welcome today Bob Wheeler, author, speaker, CPA, CFO at the Comedy Store, and as we were just talking about all your titles, just a person like all of us. And uh, <laughs> Exactly. How are you doing today, Bob? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Yeah, so are you coming to us from Los Angeles area? You know, work with the Comedy Store. I am. I'm. I'm actually in Santa Monica, um, over oh, by okay. the beach. So. Oh man. So I can't complain too much, but yet no. sunny, sunny Los Angeles. Love me some Santa Monica <laughs> Beach. How are the beaches yeah. over there these days? By the way, I don't know if you get out to the beach much anyway, but <laughs> closed. <laughs> oh, are they? Closed. They closed them again. <laughs> um, well, I think they're getting ready to shut down the whole city again. Oh, but when the beaches are open, you're allowed to go and be active, and it's nice. I mean, they're yeah. beautiful. Yeah, that's why in Florida, when they back in like March, April, when no, no one knew what to do with all this, some people were going to the beaches. I saw this picture of a guy getting arrested on the beach, and there was a little <laughs> meme that said, "Why aren't you at Walmart?" Because you could go to Walmart, but you couldn't be at the beach, and there was nobody on the beach. But why aren't you at Walmart? But anyway, exactly. That's why I'm not at the comedy <laughs> store. Uh, <laughs> by the way. Love the comedy store. Let's talk about all this stuff, but let's first get into your background. Um, and I used to live in LA, by the way, too. And I've visited a comedy store and uh, been in the financial arena in some capacity. Was in the past, done insurance and mortgages and other things. But uh, tell me about your background. What brought you to this place? Where are you from originally? So I grew up in Tennessee. I grew up in a small town in Tennessee. Uh -huh. uh, but my parents were actually originally from Southern California. And yeah. After college, I just decided to go out to L.A. for a couple summers to hang out with my grandparents. Mm -hmm. And then one year led to the next, to the next, to the next. And all of a sudden, oh, I live in Southern California. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's been a good ride. I originally wanted to go to law school. I had planned to go to law school since I was probably nine. And then I got to college, met a bunch of lawyers didn't really like them, <laughs> decided <laughs> to go into accounting because that was just something that I got an easy A in. And yeah. it wasn't something that I was passionate about. It was just something that came easy and yeah. got into accounting. And I also got into stand-up comedy. I was doing comedy. The comedy store needed some help. And Mitzi was like, I hear you're a CPA. You got to come help us out. So wow. um, hence my relationship, love, love relationship with the comedy store. Um, and then I built an accounting practice and then here I am. Yeah, here we are. That's great. So, uh, first of all, I don't think most of us could blame you on the lawyer sentiment. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, sorry to any of my lawyer friends. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Not sorry. Kind of thing. Right. right. <laughs> they, they're, the, they're the ones who need to be sorry. Let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but, they know, they know. Yeah, they know it. And hopefully if any are listening, they're chuckling too, because they, 
they probably hear this stuff all day and it makes them feel bad. But uh, so were you good at math growing up? I mean, being a CPA, you got to you got to be decent with numbers. So you got to be good with numbers. And, you know, I wasn't good with trig and all that kind of stuff, but yeah. I was good with basic two plus two is four. I got that down pretty good. <laughs> and good. the other thing about accounting is it's actually a lot of logic. It's organization. And so I'm very anal. Uh, OCD probably. And I get very fixated on the details. And so I just, that was a, that was an arena that I felt really comfortable in. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So two plus two is four isn't exactly advanced honors math, but it's the organization and the strategy behind it is what we're really talking about. Sounds like. That's Um, right. It's a very logical closed system. And for me, and I think for a lot of accountants, it's very safe. Two plus two is four. And if it's not, there's a problem. And then yeah. once you get to know it, you can make it three, right? Then like, what do you want two plus two to be? Um, <laughs> that comes later. Oh, creative <laughs> numbers. Well, yeah, that makes some sense. And um, let's talk real quick and then we'll get into all the rest the comedy store. Like I said, I lived in LA for, for a while, probably six years or so. And um and at other times, I was actually born in Anaheim, but I grew up in Albuquerque. But this isn't about me. Okay. But when but I, lived, I lo- well, Albuquerque, I love New Mexico. So oh, do you? Yeah, well, I, do. I do too. I love the people. Uh, I'm not yeah. going to say much else. But we got the balloon fiesta, the hot air balloons, and all kinds of That's stuff right. in Mexico. I love it. Uh, <laughs> great food, all kinds of stuff. But so when I was in LA, I went to the comedy store once or twice. Yeah, and I was amazed. I, I in fact, I remember I went to see it was Dane Cook. Harlan Williams, yep. Margaret Cho, uh, Kenny Benya from Seinfeld, which isn't his real name. That's the show okay. name. And it was like, and a couple other comedians all in one night. And it, yeah. was, and it was less than 25 bucks a ticket or something. I was like, wow, we could go see all these like big name dudes right in the middle of Hollywood for less than 25 bucks. It's pretty crazy. I mean, Dave Chappelle pops in, but a lot of, or Chris Rock, but they don't like people to know. They just like to show up. Um, but with tweeting and texting people usually within, you know, 30 minutes of Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle showing up, the club gets packed because wow. everybody's like, oh, my God. So they so just it's, guys, it's pretty cool. Do they just show up kind of working out new material kind of thing or yeah. just to hang out during the city? <laughs> I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. They'll usually call ahead and say, hey, I want to come hang out. Don't mention it. Or you can mention it. They'll let us know if they're allowed to if they want to be seen. Yeah. I've, I'm always, I, I want to talk about the accounting, but I love comedy. I love everything. I love comedy movies, stand-up comedy. I grew up with it. Me and my dad used to watch and we still do. Um, and I just love the whole, I've had a couple comedians on the podcast. In fact, I tell some of them, the two kinds of people that fascinate me are stand-up comedians and serial killers. Just be, and, <laughs> and I think there's a common thread of a certain type of insanity <laughs> to do. That's probably true. One or the other. <laughs> That's right. Humor can cut with a different kind of knife. <laughs> yeah. And you say you did stand up too, or maybe I did. Up? I did. I, I, I do it a little bit now, but it's, I've got so many different things going on and being uh, part of the comedy store, you know, getting off stage and somebody saying, Hey, can you sign checks or Hey, the insurance, it just, it sort of was problematic. I didn't get to just go and have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. We were in more multiple hats over there, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And Mitzi, boy, I never, I never saw Mitzi over there, but she passed. God rest her soul. She did. What a legend. Goodness gracious. And bringing all these from back in like the seventies. Yeah. She, uh, she was an amazing woman. I feel privileged that I got to spend time with her and travel with her and really got to work by her side. Uh, 
just an amazing person. Yeah. Was her son ever around Polly? <laughs> um, Polly, Peter, Scott, and then Sandy is her daughter who just passed away a couple of years ago oh, as well. So um, there's just the three boys are left. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and I listen to lots of podcasts. I was listening to, to Jay Leno on the, uh, okay. on the old, uh, was it Adam Carolla? Maybe it was. Yeah. Uh, Adam Carolla. Yeah. He's on Adam Carolla and he's on uh, Mark Marin, who's also from Albuquerque. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. And uh, so I just love hearing these old stories. We don't need to get into the stories, but there's just a special place in my heart for stand-up comedy and these things. <laughs> oh, well, you know, the comedy store is very fortunate in that, a lot of these people, Joe Rogan, Richard Pryor, Roseanne Barr, like, uh, like just so wow. many people have passed through those doors and it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. Well, big hug to the comedy store. Yeah. Um, thank you. Any insights gained from the comedy store as we transition to these other topics, because uh, obviously you had to handle the business side a little bit, the financial uh, portion uh, what what insights or did that kind of help further your progress along this financial path? Yeah, I think that for me, the comedy store just reminds me that, you know, life can get serious and life can be hard and there can be lots of obstacles and we still have to be able to laugh at ourselves and, and not take things too serious uh, because life changes on a dime uh, at a moment's notice. And who knows what's coming up. So to be able to have a sense of humor, uh, to be able to just not get too worried about things. I mean, just a, a story, Mitzi, one time we were, uh, this one, things were really tight and I had just gone and gotten $3,000 of cash for petty cash for the weekend. And yeah. we'd had a staff meeting and then I came back and the money was gone. Oh no. And I said, Mitzi, somebody, somebody stole the $3,000. She goes, well, a comic probably needed it more than we did. Don't worry about it. Just go get more. And I'm like, we don't have any more, but like she didn't wow. worry about it. She just figured somebody else needed it more than her. And she, she'd find a way to get it back. Like something else would come. Yeah. There's and, something uh, about that. I'll keep going. Yeah. So it just, I, I was, I appreciated that one, she didn't get really angry at me and two, that she actually just looked at it in a bigger picture and said, it's all good. It's all good. There's something about some people in these higher level positions sometimes that just have that, that mindset of, you know, live and let live. Someone needs it more than me in this case. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and it kind of helps further along the business. I mean, that's a major brand, the comedy store. Everyone knows the comedy store who's, who's had anything to do with or just watch comedy. Um, and so as part of accounting there, and I understand you got to keep track of lots of things as far as like, the door, which is the people who bought tickets and, and paying to come in the admission or the cover or whatever. Um, I guess that's not too complicated. You just have, uh, do you guys run that through cash register? I guess these days people run. That well, these days online. it's amazing. We do everything online now. Amazingly, when we went to online, our, our revenue went up. <laughs> well, we stopped convenient. dealing with cash. Yeah. Ah, amazing. Yeah. We, that stuff is pretty easy where we, where we have to really pay attention is if we if we're doing a door deal, if we're we got to make sure uh, how many seats were there. You know, uh, you know when George Carlin or somebody used to come in, they want to know there were 500 seats and three comps, and and you had to get real like really really Specific. detailed. Uh, and you know, and then there's just a lot of other stuff that you have to keep up with, making sure you've got your liquor license, making sure you don't. Uh, 
let anybody in under age. You got to make sure that uh, there's so many health concerns. You know, you got to worry about like people not putting glass. I never knew why people weren't supposed to put glasses in an ice bin, but there's a reason I didn't work in food. And <laughs> I'm like, what's wrong with putting a glass in a, in a, a bin of ice? Well, if, I, if the glass breaks, now you're drinking glass. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Pretty obvious. Not for me. <laughs> Hard so to there's just, yeah, there's just a lot of little things. <laughs> yeah. 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 It all exactly. starts to, it all starts to add up. And, and I understand sometimes, like you said, different comics, maybe depending on their stature, there might be a different deal that you have with whoever's on stage headlining and whatnot. Right. At a percentage of the door. I think I, I heard some of these guys talk about sometimes you get 90% of the door or something. Uh, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, some of them do. Some of them do. I mean, more recently, the club's been up until pandemic. Uh, the club was just doing really, really well. So we didn't actually have to do door deals with a lot of people because people just wanted to be on the stage because it's just been it's just been on fire in a good way. Um, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so it always depends working out deals and depending on the times. Okay. Interesting. So, uh, and so you've been with the comedy store since when? 1997. Oh, okay. A little while. Okay. <laughs> That's a while. <laughs> I was, I was about to graduate high school back then and there you go. Like you're a tiny bit older than me, but uh, well, then, I was in, I was in grade school when I started just, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wild prodigy. Good job. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Neat. Okay, cool. So, so aside from all that, which is still fascinating to me, uh, Tell me about this, The Money Nerve, and uh, you've got, of course, this book, The Money Nerve, uh, Navigating the Emotions of Money. You know, back when I did finances, I realized I could sit down with someone and say, yeah, you should, mathematically, this, 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 and this makes sense. But right. I realize you need to make your decisions based on how you feel and what's most comfortable and your risk tolerance and those things. Uh, talk to me about that, like the emotional side and how it flows through the financial arena. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I originally thought everything was two plus two is four. Everything was black and white. And yeah. so I didn't realize that people were reacting emotionally initially. And I would sit and work with clients and then they would go out and do exactly the opposite of what I would say. Yeah. And <laughs> I also, a lot of my friends are comics. So they're, everybody's starving artists. And if you're, if you're not starving, you're not a pure comic and, or a pure <laughs> artist. And so there was a lot of lack of abundance, a lot of shame around money. And so as I started to realize, wow, there's impact emotionally in the decision-making that we're, that we're making around finance. Um, and so what, what happened to me, actually, I was sitting in the comedy store main room and a comic friend of mine came by and she was crying. And I was like, what's up? She said, oh, you know, I was just talking to my, my, my family who are all doctors and <laughs> chiropractors and all kinds of professions and they they were shaming her because she had chosen to be a comic yeah. instead of doing the, the right thing and being a doctor. <laughs> and she's like, I'm the only person in the world doesn't know how to handle my finances. And I said, actually, probably most people in the world don't know how to handle their finances and don't have it dialed in. They're just presenting much better than you are. Mm. Uh, they're just faking it. And she was like, what? I was like, you're not alone. And she's like, well, I'm so ashamed. And it got me thinking and realizing as I started talking to clients, there was a lot of shame. There was a lot of unspoken beliefs or interpretations of, of what buying something meant or saving something meant or driving a nice car meant or having success. And so I really started exploring this emotional component 
And I was also looking at my own personal life where I was actually making a lot of money. I had my credentials. I was a CPA and financially I was self-sabotaging like crazy. Mm. And so I had to start looking at what, what was my story and you know, what was I trying to uh, prove or reaffirm in terms of my belief system. And a lot of people will still say to me, emotions don't always play. Like my first editor said, you know, emotions, I don't ever make decisions emotionally. I said, okay. Um, if, when you go out to lunch with your dad, who pays for lunch? She said, oh, well, my dad does because I'm his little princess. I said, <laughs> okay. Well, who pays for lunch when you go out with your mom? She said, I do because my dad left her and I feel so bad for her. And I said, okay, well, who pays for your lunch when you go out with your sister? She said, oh, well, we pay 50-50 because we're equal. Oh, I get it. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And it was just even that kind of splitting the bill. Are you the one that's looking to see if, if everybody else drank wine and you didn't and, or you got the dessert and it, can you slip it in when they split it evenly or are you get I only owe four bucks because I just had the salad. Right. <laughs> the, there's a lot of stuff going on there internally for people when we're trying to split the bill with a large party. Yeah. There's a lot of insight as to what's going on inside people's head with with how things are managed when it's, when you go out with others to eat. <laughs> exactly. Little things like that. Do you, so you talk about shame. What were you going to say? Sorry. Yeah, no, I, shame is it shame. I think shame is a, is a big yeah. component of this. We all think we're supposed to have it dialed in and we're not going to, if, if money's tight, we're not going to, most of us aren't going to say, no, I can't get another drink. Cause I've, gone past my budget. Um, no, yeah, go ahead and charge it, charge it. Um, I'm, I'm as good as everybody else. Yeah, I can take that trip. And <laughs> I think what happens is, right, we don't run around saying, oh my God, I just filed bankruptcy last week. You cannot believe I've got $50,000 worth of credit card debt. It's amazing. I'm paying 24% interest. Um, <laughs> I'm filing for divorce because my money is such a mess, right? We don't share those things. We put a positive spin on it. Well, for the most yeah. Part. Yeah. And you mentioned the marriage and the divorce. I mean, that's documented as pretty much the number one cause generally of marital yeah. strife uh, finances. Uh, well, it is. And interestingly, I'll have clients come in, husband and wife, and they'll both say, hey, we have a bet writing on this because I think this and they think that, and we want to know who's wrong. And then I'll say, well, let me just ask you this. Are you guys on the same team? Or is this a competition and whoever wins is the winner or or are we a a unit working together? Oh, oh, (laughs) yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, We're working together, sort of. (laughs) Well, right. Because we get caught up in these roles. I want to be right. Yeah. No. And uh, yeah, I always remember our old friend, Dr. Phil. I heard him say that. uh, (laughs) Do you want to? Do you want to uh, be right or win or do you want to be married? Uh, and right. so being right or winning versus being married. And like you say, are you doing this together? Are you doing it as a team? It's not, a, it's not about who's right. It's about what's right. What's the yeah. correct thing? And, and if someone has to bite their tongue and realize, oh, yeah, I was wrong about that, that can strengthen a marriage in and of itself. Oh, I was wrong. Sorry. Uh, and we just <laughs> move And on. that's so hard to say. For most people, and I know for me, it's sometimes it's hard to say, wow, I was wrong. Even when I know I'm wrong. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was wrong. Yeah. Mm, it's, it's I'm sorry. And, and when it comes to finances, boy, goodness gracious, you're talking about the $50,000 of credit card debt example. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A lot of, in America, we have a very debt-based economy. I mean, look we at do. our national debt just constantly ballooning, uh, especially at a time like this. And uh, 
why do people want to kick the can down the road like that? And as a nation, we're doing it. So it's not really a good example for the populace. <laughs> well, you know, I think, um, you know, in the seventies is when really credit cards started coming into being. And then the eighties, it got really crazy. I think that the media and culturally we are told you shouldn't have to wait, forget about delayed gratification. You should have instant gratification anytime you want it. You deserve it. You've worked hard. Don't worry about the payments. Just have what you need now because who knows you, you might not even be around tomorrow. So you won't even have to pay off that debt. Do what feeds you in this moment and don't focus on like waiting things out or saving mm -hmm. for things. And, and it's, you know, even some of the commercials don't use, don't pay cash. It takes too long. Use a credit card. It goes faster. Mm. And we lose that connection to our money. When we slide a credit card, it could be $2 or $2,000. It feels exactly the same. When I take a hundred dollar bill out of my wallet, you know, I cry. <laughs> I don't want to part with it. <laughs> and with credit card, it's just like, yeah, it's okay. Swipe. So I think it's instant gratification is what we've come to believe we're entitled to. Yeah. And then, and then doesn't that extend to like a lot of other areas of life? Uh, not just money. It's, you know, the, the substances and the uh, sex and other things. It all becomes instant. Oh, well, I just deserve it. Uh, and I just deserve it. Yeah. And, and I, it gives slogans. me the right to be immediately incensed. Yeah. And you, you talk about the 1970s. I mean, that's when we went off as a nation. We went off the gold standard and inflation has steadily really especially in the last decade plus uh skyrocketed but um that's that's a whole broader kind of macro view of our economy when we talk about that uh, yeah. but on a on an individual scale i mean what is it that that uh makes everyone not everyone but so many people have so many problems with money and so much shame and then self-sabotage use this word sabotage yeah. what is it that's happening there well i think a lot of people I think it goes back to self-worth, uh, believing that we deserve things. And I think a lot of people are trying to be f a fuller version of themselves. And so somehow spending money will fill that hole in my soul or it'll make me uh, be impressive to my friends. Um, people will look up to me. I'll get instant gratification in having lots and lots of clothes or 42 pairs of shoes. And so it's, I think it's this constant hunger and longing for something that they're not going to get through money. Uh, so there's a, I think there's a false, uh, it's a misnomer that like having more money is going to make everything better. Yeah. Or actually having good relationships, healthy relationships, having a support system, um, having amazing life experiences, traveling. Those are the things for me that are fulfilling, but often money looks as the way of that's the way it is uh, for me as a kid. And I think this is true for a lot of people in this culture. My value was based on what I could produce. My value is based on winning, you know, winning the ticket, getting the, winning the award, having the best grade, uh, having the most amazing trip. And so for me, you know, in my tax practice, if I, if I could do 500 tax returns and somebody else could do 300, man, I have value. I don't hold that belief now, but it still pulls at me that mm -hmm. I am my accomplishments. Um, and that's something that I was socialized with. And I th think a lot of people were, you're only as good as what you produce instead of your heart and soul, your goodness, your, your, your compassion, your humor. Right. We don't value those things as much, at least 
outwardly. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of like the our the thing, which in this case is money, versus our relationship to the thing, uh, money in this case. And uh, now I understand, and I don't know some of your stories, but I understand you had a situation, uh, kind of uh, that that happened in Africa that changed some of your beliefs around money. And uh, yeah. we talk about Africa. Most of us Westerners believe. In uh, uh, seeing our mind visions of poverty in these old commercials that used to come on the TV and stuff. Uh, and there is a ton of that over there. But tell me what happened there. So the first time I was in Africa, I was in Tanzania and the average income over there at the time was a hundred dollars uh-huh. annually. Wow. wow. And yeah. And I had, uh, I just gotten my Mercedes I was, I was on the track. Things were good. I was financially starting to get things set. And I was over there and these people were incredibly happy. And they would say to me, tell all your Western friends to come to Tanzania if you liked it here. And I'm looking around, I'm thinking they don't have DVD players. They don't have nice cars. They're mm-hmm. living in huts made out of leaves. They don't have running water. How can they be so happy. What's, yeah. what's wrong with them? Yeah. Like, they, don't they know they should not be happy? They need to have material things. And it really threw me for a loop because they would have given you the one pair of pants or the one shirt or their only Coca-Cola. They would have given it to you in a heartbeat without even thinking, having second thoughts or being resentful. They would just give. Wow. And what it made me start to realize is that in in some of these countries developing countries where there is not a lot of money you actually do have to learn to rely on community and learn how to work with each other and actually get along in the u.s we can just we have enough money we can build a fence we can move to a bigger neighborhood we can move further out and have more land so that we can afford to isolate And I think in the end, what that does is it leaves us longing for connection, which is what I think most people on earth really want is is connection. And in these places, Tanzania, Zimbabwe, uh, they're all about community uh, and and learning to work it out. Doesn't mean they don't have conflicts and they know this is what we got. Let's make the best of it. So it really, for me, it was a shift of learning to be humble, and uh, grateful. So it, it, that shifted my life perspective. I want to be a lot more grateful and I need to be a lot more humble. Oh yeah. That's awesome. And I think everyone needs those kind of experiences. Absolutely. Um, and, and more and more of them. I, for one, lived in Chile for a while, which is the most industrialized nation, South America, but it's right. still, uh, it pales in comparison in a lot of ways. We talk about poverty in the U S versus poverty in Tanzania. It's, it's night and day. I mean, yeah. people living in poverty in the U.S. still have a smartphone in many cases, for example. That's right. And they don't live in a, in a hut made out of leaves. Uh, right. And if it's in a housing project, that might be tough in some ways, but it's still a solid structure. <laughs> right, mean, with running water. With running water and all those things. Yeah, goodness gracious. Um, but there's a lot of perspective around that. I heard some stats a while ago that I, I don't know if the numbers are right, but it was something like 28% of people in the world – even have a car, let alone two car household, like a lot of right. us in the US have. And right. so we got to get that, like, we need to see the world uh, in every sense of the phrase 
for what it is and and see just how blessed we are this entitlement goodness gracious i'm just preaching here sorry <laughs> no it's 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 absolutely true it's interesting i was in zimbabwe a couple of years ago and i was working at a rhino sanctuary because i love rhinos and elephants and we were there and there were some younger people there that were also volunteers and uh my bunk mate was 18 years old comes from an affluent family and we got to go spend a day in the village uh, with a, with a household. And we got to milk the cow that looked like it hadn't eaten in three months. And, mm. and we milked the cow into a little container that looked like it had never been washed. And then we ate food that they cooked on a, an electric skillet that they had turned into a pan that sat in the fire. And mm. our meal had a lot of dirt, you know, in it. And we went and carried water on our heads. And I said to this kid, um, I said, listen, you know, here's the thing. We got to choose this morning if we wanted to milk the cow, plow the field, carry the water on our head. That was a choice for us. But these folks get up every day and that's their life. Like it is not an option. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they don't get to say, no, I think I'll go back to the, the cabana and, and get a martini. They, <laughs> that's it. They don't have a choice. They show up and, and do what they got to do. No kidding. Yeah. Well, you spend a fair amount of time in Africa. That's I mean, I, I love traveling and I love, I love Africa. I love India, um, Nepal. Yeah. I yeah. think everybody should travel. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I need to see some of these places. Um, boy, that sounds incredible. And uh, so when we talk about money uh, and our relationship, what constitutes a healthy relationship? And also you talk a little bit about financial therapy. I don't want to like mm -hmm. double, yeah. double edged sword the question here, but uh, yeah. let's talk about some of that. Uh, what is financial therapy? And then also what, what is a healthy relationship? Let's define these things. So a lot of times, well, I use financial therapy when I work with people as a gateway, when people come in and work with me around money, we discover that it's also about setting boundaries, self-worth, uh, uh, sexuality, uh, all these different things of if I have more money, I might be more attractive or I, I don't deserve to have all the money I have because I'm not as smart as other people. So there's like, all, so for me, money is a doorway into the rest of our life choices. How we eat, do we eat healthy? Uh, do we use our money to bribe our friends to like us more? Are we the one that goes to a birthday party with kids and buys $2,000 gifts and outspend everybody else so we can impress them? Yeah. Uh, so it's like, and that's what we do. And by the way, just a tip to people that get annoyed, that the people that spend thousands of dollars on a five-year-old, take, take a bottle of bubbles and some Play-Doh and uh, your gift will be much better than the $2,000 gift because yeah. kids just want to have fun. <laughs> and so, um, but that's, so for me, financial therapy is, is exploring all those places of where do I start to actually see my goodness and that it's okay. Most people will say they want to be rich and they hate rich people because rich people are greedy. So we're often in a bind, a double bind. It's right. It's paradoxical. I want to be this, but I hate what they represent. And so for having a healthy relationship for me is learning to say, Oh, I actually am happy with what I have. Not what else do I need to fulfill myself? Am I, am I okay with this is all I got? Am I good with it? Can I yeah. still make choices that, that feel fulfilling? Yeah. 
And it's, that's a good, I mean, and we did podcast some time back. There's a book called start with why, for example, about everything in life. And, and that was more from a business standpoint. Why are you doing this business? And right. there's some great examples for Apple and other companies about having the why behind what you're trying to accomplish for customers and so on. Um, but and with what you just talked about with kids, I, I, again, back to podcasts, I heard Adam Carolla talking about his, uh, his daughter, like his, his wife, one Christmas, just like got her everything on her list, 185 things or something that she wanted wow. for Christmas. So she's just opening and he talks about pretty soon. It was just uh, not even caring about one gift and just going to the next, to the next, to the next, and just this pile of stuff, not with no meaning, no value because there was nothing done to earn it. And, yep. uh, and he talks a lot about that stuff. I like Adam. I relate to him in a lot of ways, but that's some of what happens, right? I mean, yeah, on, on that end of things. And then people are poor on the other end who can't, you know, afford to get the 185 things. But, um, well, and I think one of the things that a lot of people don't do is they don't sit and have conversations with their children. Um, you know, like my parents were old school, so I'm not trying to make them bad or anything, but if I would say, Hey, I want this, or, um, they would say, you can't have it or you need to brush your teeth. And I'd say, well, why not? Cause I'm going to hit you if you, <laughs> if you keep pushing. <laughs> oh, okay. Well that doesn't really give me any information. It just tells me there's going to be a result. Um, right. and so to be able to say, look, we don't have a lot of money. And so we have to make choices about how we spend it. And this time around, we decided we want to pay the mortgage instead of buying you, you know, a toy truck and, oh, okay. So starting to understand that there's actual decisions made around money and it's not just an impulse that I'm going to deny my children things that they want just because I want to be a cruel parent. Um, and then learning to actually just say, things are tight right now. Yeah. And that's a scary conversation, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. Yo, no, you're right. It's, um, but so we choose to make things scary too, you know, and I heard right. another example, not necessarily directly money related, but parenting related that, uh, like a real life story where a parent had walked in and, oh, they left the child left the clothes in the wrong place on all over the floor and they could easily pick it up and just set it there. And, and it would take less time to put it, you know, on top of the washing machine or whatever, uh, versus go upstairs find the child, say, Hey, did we forget something down here? Let's, uh, let's come clean that up, please. Uh, before you right. move on with your other activities and all that might take five, 10 times as long, but the lessons learned and someone might say, well, that sucks. Why would I do that? Well, you signed up to be a parent in some way and That's right. <laughs> you, sometimes you got to invest a little bit more time so that the lesson gets across. Right. Well, and that's the thing, actually, you spend the 10 minutes or the 20 minutes, the first few times. And in the long run, the lesson is learned and, and then you're not spending all then instead of spending five minutes cleaning it up for the rest of your life. Um, actually, yeah. yeah. Teaching a lesson. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. Enabling and empowering these, these children. I for one have two boys. Do you have any kids yourself? I, I don't, I have okay. uh, nieces and nephews. That was something that I had planned on and it just didn't play out that way. So oh, that's okay. Um, well, lots of nieces and nephews. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I've got some of those too. I, uh, so when we talk about the financial therapy, what does it encompass really? Is it, is it all about kind of stepping back? Like a lot of things, look at the big picture and ask yourself some of these questions you talked about or, or what all does that entail? So it, so when I work with somebody around money, 
actually, first question I ask them, are you willing to be uncomfortable and are you willing to make some changes? And occasionally somebody will say no. And then I'll say, okay, well, we're done. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. if, if you're not open to looking at some of this stuff, we're not going to get very far. But what I, what I work on with people is we start to look at history. What did my parents say? What did my culture say? Did I grow up in a particular religious group? Uh, did I gr- grow up in a particular ethnicity that valued a certain thing? And, and then where did I fit in in school? Was I the rich kid? Was I the poor kid? Was I on the school lunch? And the shame about that. Uh, and then yeah. we start to look at, do you deserve these things? And what's the undervoice? A lot of times I'll, I'll do a meditation with people and we'll talk about money and abundance and bring all that in. And then towards the end, I'll ask that question, do you really think you deserve it? And a lot of people have an undervoice that'll say, absolutely not. I sure don't deserve it. It sounds really cool. I love the, I love the message, but I know I'm the one that's not going to get it because I'm so undeserving. So I work mm. with people to find their undervoice, the voice that's actually driving them, not the one that they're outwardly shouting. Look at me. I'm successful. No, you're not. You're a failure. You don't deserve anything. Uh, you'll never get ahead. And, and so we start to look at those things. Where do I use money to buy love? Where do I use money to solve problems instead of actually talking through it? Where do I lie about my budgeting? If I have, you know, when I do budgeting work, when I do workshops and we cut, get into budgets, I'll tell people, listen, if you have an addiction, I'm not here to judge it. I just need you to list it on the, on the budget because I need to know where the money's going. So mm. if you've got to buy a bunch of sugar or a bunch of booze or whatever it is, I don't care. Let's just put it on the, as a line item, which ultimately also then helps people to deal with, well, I don't think I want to keep having that on the line item. Maybe I'll deal with my addiction. So that might be a, you know, a benefit that comes from starting to look at the finances, start setting boundaries, learning to tell people, no, that's not going to work for me. No, I actually can't take the trip right now. I don't have any money. And then where does that take me when I don't get to do what other people do? So we, I really try to go in and look at people's history and what their undervoice is, and then look at the intentionality and the, uh, what words people use. So a lot of people say, I'm so broke. I've done it. I'm so broke. Mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute. I've got a bit of real estate. I've got money. In, I've got a 401k plan. I got money in the bank. And I'm like, oh, I'm so broke. Okay, right now, maybe I'm a little cash flow tight. Poor. And, yeah. and so I think there's these stories of, oh, I've got to have the newest cell phone. Do you? You, you got to have it. Your life depends on it. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it might make me feel good for five minutes, but I don't really need to have that. And so starting to look at what do I need? What do I want? And, and then to start to find, I really work towards like choosing happiness, choosing gratitude instead of, well, they got more than me or why don't I get this instead of looking at going, wow, I am lucky. I'm blessed. Um, And so so we just really start to go in and start to work on what do you want money to be to you? What is it to you? And what do you need to be satisfied and fulfilled? And like, what impact do you want to have? So for me, it's about learning, having a financial healthy relationship is also starting to look at how do I want to live an intentional life, making conscious choices that serve my life purpose. Of course. Because I have a belief that we all have come here wanting to do something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so many of us unintentionally, but because of this thing about deserving that you talked about, we shoot ourselves in the foot and then just uh, 
go about life that way. But, but there's something so powerful about what we plant in our minds and especially our yeah. subconscious mind. And I love that you bring up, we've talked so much in recent episodes about meditating and all mm-hmm. kinds of tools and, and thoughts on that <laughs> uh, topic. Uh, but it, why is that important? Because we, we always have this, I mean, at least before COVID, there was this hustle bustle life, especially in a place like LA and you spend half your day stuck in traffic anyway. Uh, right. Uh, go ahead. Well, you know, I think, well, I think that for a lot of us, we have stayed really busy so that we don't actually have to stop and sit with ourselves and have that uncomfortable moment of, wait, I, I, I may not be fully fulfilled. I may feel like I'm lacking something. And if I stay busy, I don't have to feel into that. Meditation for me helps me get back to being grounded, gets me back to a reality. Mm-hmm. Because when I'm running around and doing things, I, I, I'm just like, oh, I got to do, and I get caught up in an energy of, yeah, I got to make things happen and this and this and this instead of stopping and just checking in and saying, oh yeah, whew, I love breathing air. I love jumping in the water. I love climbing mountains and like actually being with ourselves and start listening to the voices that go on in our head that when we're actively moving around, we don't always hear. And I definitely think that meditating affirmations and and being with ourselves for a bit of time, even if it's five or 10 minutes each day is, is a very important ingredient in, in planting seeds of having happiness of, of being appreciative of what you have and actually checking in with yourself as to what do I, what, what do I want my impact to be? Mm-hmm. What do I want my footprint to be? What do I want my legacy to be? Why am I here? Like, and if and it doesn't have to be all spirit. It could be I'm just here to uh, be here for my family. Uh, it could be I'm just here to make people laugh, or it could be I'm here because I want to make a difference, or I want to discover the cure for cancer, or or any of those things. But we all have something that we want to. I, I believe we all have a reason to be here, and meditating gets us closer to being actually with ourselves and in the quiet instead of all the outside noises that are trying to do, do this, do this. No, come over here, spend here and, and just brings it inward. Yeah. And not getting lost in all that societal kind of sensory stimulation that is so much of our lives, especially here in America. And, uh, you yep. know, I, and I heard Tony Robbins a while back say that both success and failure are found in the little things. Meditation arguably can be one of those little things. It could be five minutes, yeah. you know, in the morning, just when you get up or and a lot of people say just before bed or getting up out of bed is a good time to do it. Um, and I, for one, have my own affirmation. I've recorded audio that I listen to sometimes in the car of me talking and telling me my yep. affirmations. Uh, and some of that is gratitude. I'm grateful for my boys and clean air and all these sometimes just little things that we forget about. I have clean air here. Uh, I have warm water. I have right. all these TVs and, <laughs> and cars and whatever. Like, and, and it just grounds your mind so that we're not uh, getting lost in the, in the ether of all this sensory stimulation nonsense that, that can carry us away quickly. Uh, Absolutely. And I, I use uh, Post-it notes. You know, on the bathroom mirror, on the refrigerator, yeah, I am lovable. Awesome. I'm grateful. I like whatever those messages that I want to keep putting into my brain waves. Uh, I've got them on my dash in my car. I, I everywhere for a while. I just wanted to inundate myself with a different message than what I had been 
where I, from where I'd been coming from. I wanted something different. And I think meditation, recording your own self, talking to yourself, look in the mirror and talk to yourself at the end of, at the end of the day, talk about all the great things you did. I'm so happy I accomplished this and I handled this conversation. Well, this one didn't go so well, but I'll do, I know now I know what to do next time. Um, and start yeah. off the morning with, I'm going to have a great day. I'm going to accomplish a lot. Here's what I want to do. I want to, you know, I want to connect with people today. I want to have patience, whatever it might be, uh, to start setting those intentions and yeah, live intentionally. Yeah, absolutely. Our old friend Zig Ziglar used to, he had a card he'd give out in audiences back in the day to, for people to do just what you just said, look in the mirror, read this card uh, of all these amazing positive affirmation things. and. Uh, but there's so many of those tools and you can come up with your own too and be yeah. creative, whatever works for you. I like audio. I do podcasting. So I did this audio thing and put post-its on the mirror for you in your case or whatever it yeah. is or multiple versions and the meditating. Um, but you talk too about, about baby steps, Bob. And, yeah. I, and uh, so something I guess happened and I don't know this story either in Nepal, but I caught wind yeah. that there was something that happened there at uh, base camp of Mount Everest. Tell me about that and, and maybe how that plays into baby steps. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so I, I, I've been to Nepal twice. The first time was to go to base camp and it didn't happen. Um, our guide happened to be uh, Canadian English who did not like Americans. Uh-oh. And uh, he, he purposely t- took us on the long route and we weren't able to make there were two mountains that we had to climb. One was uh, Kalabatar and then one was base camp and we couldn't do both or well, we could, but it was going to be an 18 hour day. And for me personally at that altitude, I said, yeah, I'm out. And Mm. so nobody ended up going to base camp. So we went back the next time or I went back the next time and I brought some friends with me and you know, a trip to Nepal is not a $500 trip. It, it, you know, it can cost between five and 10,000 bucks by the time all the traveling and all that stuff. And, we got there and the first day when you get into the national park, you actually, you, you hike down, even you hike down and then you hike back up and it's hard. And hmm. at the end of the day, all of my friends said, wow, this is a lot harder than we thought, Bob. Um, let's just go back to Kathmandu and call it a day. And I'm like, no, no, no. I just spent 10,000 bucks. I am not going back to Kathmandu. Um, not happening. And they yeah. were like, well, this is too hard. So I said, well, how about this? Let's, do, let's, let's see if we can agree to this. Why don't we agree to hike an hour? And at the end of the hour, let's decide if we want to hike anymore. And let's just decide to negotiate every hour whether we're going to keep going or not. And so they said, okay, we could do that. So we'd hike an hour. We'd stop. We'd have a conversation. What do you think? Should we, do it? Should we go another hour or should we call it quits? I could do one more hour. Great. We hiked another hour. Hey, what do you think? Should we keep going? And, and what that helped us to do was to actually make it more palatable yeah. because when you're in, when you're in Nepal and you're looking at these mountains and they tell you, see that fourth mountain over there, we're going to be there by tomorrow. Are you kidding me? We're going to walk there. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. And, and so to be able to then take it into baby steps and just focus on getting from A to B and then B to C yeah. made it just much easier. I think a lot of people in the U S want to go from A to Z. No, you're right. right. I, I, yeah. I don't want to do anything in between. Just give me the goods. Instant gratification. <laughs> it's gratifi- instant gratification. And so I, baby steps for me is learning to actually take each of the steps so that when you get to the end, you're actually fully there. Yeah. 
No, that, absolutely. What an awesome analogy too for just about anything in life. Uh, about the yeah. baby steps, about joy is found more in the journey than the destination as well. Right. But but also just realizing like these old sayings, a thousand mile journey begins with the first step, but you right. got to be willing to do that. It's like the tortoise versus the hare kind of thing where you talked about stopping to take some breaks and right. keep your sanity about you, but still you're making progress. And before you know it, you're getting where you need to be. Um, so that that's the a very enabling principle. Thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, absolutely. And Absolutely. I, and I think it's, it, well, I, I was just going to say it relates to the, the 185 toys, right? If somebody just dropped me on the top of base camp <laughs> from a helicopter, it would not have the same long-term gratification as walking up that mountain and taking every single one of the steps and knowing that I actually had to take every step to get there. Yeah. I mean, heck, I don't know how it works, but you could probably hire a helicopter to just take you to the top of Mount Everest, right? <laughs> you could. You could. <laughs> if a lot of people climb, yeah. it would be a little pissed off, I'm sure, as they watch you do that. But uh, <laughs> exactly. yeah. Yeah. And so there's just something powerful. Historically, for millennia, mountains have had a very symbolic thing religiously uh, and on all kinds of levels about climbing mountains and taking these yeah. baby steps. And, uh, and again, you talked earlier on about this instant gratification when it comes to credit cards and stuff. It's all the same mentality. We've got to weed that out. And at least, again, through meditating all these other tools, uh, recognize where we're falling into those traps and uh, be willing to take these, these baby steps. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, talking about the credit cards, for me, I highly recommend to people that you, if you think you must have a brand new TV today, actually take 24 hours and tell the salesperson, you know what, I'm going to come back tomorrow. You'll probably find you actually didn't need it as bad as you thought you did in that moment when the salesperson said, it's the best deal ever. You're never going to get it again. Um, <laughs> like being able to say no, or if you're not good at saying no, um, you know, I would always just say, well, my business partner will kill me. My wife will kill me. My like, I always yeah. put it on the third party that's not there um, because I wasn't good at saying no previously. And, and and nobody would argue with that. They're like, oh, my God, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Well, it's like having a waiting period for getting a gun, for example. Right. Let's have waiting periods for big purchases and maybe draw a line in our mind. Anything over $200, I'm going to give it a day and yeah. and maybe do a meditation about it. See if I really need that. Uh, as we talk about those baby steps, reminds me of my one of my old favorite comedy movies what about bob remember the baby steps and uh yeah richard dreyfus one of the best but i digress uh <laughs> anyone listening go find what about bob on vhs uh <laughs> that's right that's... so many great great things i'm sorry to interject that uh, oh it's all good <laughs> but you know he's, he had this book about baby steps um hilarious movie um so what what makes you an expert as we wrap up here and people can come find, obviously we'll touch on all this both in our intro and as we wrap up here, but what makes you the expert here and why should people go read your book? This is the money nerve navigating the emotions of money and talk a little more maybe about the emotion, emotion of money, but yeah. So I'll tell you, so I'll, I'll first start off by saying I'm not an expert, which is why you should come talk and hear what I have to say. I'm not an expert. <laughs> I've had a lot of experiences and I can tell you what I've experienced and it might resonate with you. And if it does, like, let's have a great journey together. Uh, I don't, being an expert makes me nervous because uh, that means that I, I'm all knowing or I've got it dialed in. And that leaves me 
less curious to find other ways of, of, of other possibilities. So mm -hmm. I like to be a non, a non expert uh, with a lot of experience. And I, for me, it's really about what is my life purpose and, and having a healthy relationship with money is one of those key components that's going to allow me to have my voice, allow me to be of service to others, allow me to use my finances to help build up other people and to keep myself fed and sheltered and clothed. And to me, the more we can have a healthy relationship with our money, the more we can have a healthy relationship with our bodies, with our, with our families, uh, with boundaries, with our self-worth. Like it, it opens, like it opens the door to life. I think I just feel like money is just a doorway to having a, an awesome intentional life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's a big part of what makes the world go round in a lot of ways. And, and a lot of us, myself included, have had unhealthy relationships with money unintentionally. Some of that's right. A lot of it's family driven. Uh, yeah. that, oh, you don't deserve this and we're not going to fix that. And you're not going to get the cool pair of pants or bike right. or whatever when you're a kid. And right. th then those thoughts of uh, not deserving are planted. Uh, but I, I love what you're saying. And, and now you do this uh, every other week, this uh, group thing. Tell, tell so, me a little about that. Yeah. So we started um, a money process group every other Thursday at the moment, mm -hmm. and people can just come in, drop in, and we do a little bit of body work, meditation, um, and just getting into our bodies. And then we talk about what's up for people, uh, whether it's I need to make more money so people will like me, or bringing up their shame, bringing up just whatever's up for people in the moment. And a lot of times we'll take an exercise from my book or the online course that I have, and we'll, we'll just do some exercises and see what comes up for people. But it's a great way to, to, to connect with other people that also have some issues around money and, and not feeling alone and, and being able to have a safe space to actually say, man, I've screwed up on my money sometimes. I have yeah. a lot, you know, I haven't forgiven myself. Yeah, and it helps people to know they're not alone. This old misery loves Absolutely. company, which isn't maybe mm -hmm. the best way to put it, but there's something to that about knowing, oh, I'm not alone. I've made mistakes or had this thing come on me. But I, I love that you integrate body and mind and all these aspects because it is all really interconnected, isn't it? It, it is. Absolutely, it is. And when it comes to money, I think it's funny. I was on an actual, I was on a very financial show. Um, and they asked uh -huh. me, what was I advising people to do through COVID? And I took a chance and I said, well, I actually tell my clients to breathe. <laughs> and I thought they were going to say, well, that's a little too crazy and airy fairy for us. But they actually said, oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> it is all connected. Yeah. And there's some, we all need to tap into these like realities of our existence, not just get stuck on our money problems or whatever yeah. it is, but the breathing and the mental state. It's all about training ourselves to just be better as people, better partners, better parents, whatever your, you know, various roles in life are. And uh, of course, money is a big part of it. Well, it is. So do we have any uh, final thoughts here uh, as we wrap up, my friend, Bob? I just, you brought so much value in these great stories. And uh, again, I love the comedy stuff. Sorry to so talk yeah, no, I, I, I love comedy store stuff. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. I would just, you know, what, what I would say is like really look at gratitude, like find the gratitude in 
what you have right now. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think it's important to surround yourself with friends who actually hold you accountable for your actions and not hang out with people that just tell you what you want to hear. Yeah. And to really just be willing to be open that you don't know everything and that we can all continue to learn. And, and for me, the biggest thing is, what is what's the legacy that I want to leave? What, how do I want to be remembered? Because I think all of us deep down want to have connection and I think we want to make a difference and I think we want to have impact. And so the more we can get focused and intentional about why we're here, the more we can bring that to fruition. Yeah, absolutely. Great, great final thoughts too. Uh, and uh, go pick up this book, The Money Nerve, Navigating the Emotions of Money. It's available on Amazon. Uh, and also, uh, of course, you're on, you've got your website, themoneynerve.com. Money Nerve. That's uh, right. And you can check out the course to financial freedom there. And you can reach out to me through Bob at themoneynerve.com. We do actually communicate and reach out to people that reach out to us. And uh, we're a resource. So awesome. Feel free to connect. Yeah, at the Money Nerve on Twitter, the Money Nerve on Facebook. It's all, pre- and then Robert Wheeler, not Bob, over on uh, LinkedIn. But uh, yeah, <laughs> cool. I know my official name. <laughs> yeah, the official. That's that's a little more uh, official, right there. I appreciate everything, Bob. Excellent, excellent, uh, powerful material. And uh, so you, take Phil. take this stuff and go be part of Bob's groups and all these things that you're doing. And uh, yeah, until next time, my friends, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.